By the way, what is this podcast? This is a golf, <laughs> this is a golf digest podcast. Our bosses, our bosses ask us the same thing, Rob. Hey guys, Christopher Powers, CP here, checking in to remind you to please go listen to the Loop podcast hosted by myself, Alex Myers, and Stephen Hennessy. We talk a little bit of everything: a little bit of golf, a little bit of football, a little bit of Elon Musk buying Twitter and everyone losing their mind, all that good stuff. It's mostly just three idiots yelling at each other, which I promise you, you cannot get anywhere else in the podcast space. More importantly, we get a lot of great guests. CC Sabathia, Danny Woodhead we had on recently, Emmett Smith, one of my all-time favorites. I played with Payne Stewart, and Payne walked up, he said, Emmett, this is the last hole. I don't f*** this up. <laughs> and we still get a lot of great golf guests, too, like Patrick Harrington, Justin Thomas, Dustin Johnson, so... I think it's a pretty good listen. Hope you guys do too. Please go check it out. Like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I'm always like, you know, whistling around, like enjoying life. And like randomly, Steve will be like, Daniel Jones. I don't think you whistle around enjoying life ever. Yes, you're the last person whistling around. Minding my own business. I'm always minding my own business. And it's just out of nowhere. It's just like a, a piano falls on my head. I'm going to be so messed up the next time I play regular golf. Yeah. And I'm like, what is this? What is this 190 that approach? That mean that I'm going to like have more confidence maybe next time I play? Maybe. Yeah, you you know, you should benefit. Like this is like this is like a bad dream that you're going to wake <laughs> up from. Golf Digest editors get their ideas wherever they can find them. We go to tournaments, we follow the news, we talk to other golfers. Sometimes this is actual real work. But the dirty little secret about being a golf editor is sometimes we get our ideas from, wait for it, playing golf. Crazy, I know. But you'd be surprised how often our modest version of golf plants a seed in our heads, and the next thing you know, it's a story in Golf Digest. It almost seems like a scam, but it's 100% true. Playing golf is part of the job, which is a funny thing to say, because if playing golf well was an important part of my job, I likely wouldn't have that job long. But it's on the golf course where a lot of good ideas arise. If you're a faithful listener to this podcast, you know my colleague Shane Ryan and I recently went into detail about our respective pursuit of breaking 80. And it wasn't just because we love to talk about ourselves. Okay, maybe it was a little bit because we love to talk about ourselves, but it was mostly because we felt our experience was relatable to golfers who might be in the same spot. Oh no! Oh shit, Sam, you just hammered that. You idiot! I gotta be honest with you, I, I, I have no idea what I'm doing right now. It was in that podcast that I cited an ongoing problem. I don't hit the ball very far. I am of decidedly average length, which on its own isn't so bad, but I consider myself a decent athlete and I feel like I do other things in golf pretty well. And I've always thought, man, if I could just do this one thing. And really, that's how this began. I had been thinking about my own pathetic golf and how golf would be so much easier if I was starting from further down the fairway. And then I remembered, Golf Digest actually did this. It was 1992, and the writer Peter Andrews played around with the tour star Mark O'Meara. O'Meara hit all of Andrews' drives, and Andrews hit all of O'Meara's, and the writer chronicled the whole thing in a feature story in the magazine. It was one of those stories I always remembered because it was such a cool concept. But it was also 30 years ago, and let's be honest, it wasn't with me. Selfishly, I wanted to do this. Why? Well, because I thought people could relate to it, and because it just seemed like a lot of fun. I'm Sam Wyman, and this week on Local Knowledge, we're looking at the difference between a tour player and a regular golfer by way of a simple experiment. 
where you'd enlist a PGA Tour winner, I'll get to him in a second, and play 18 holes. I did all of his drives, he did all of mine, we'd play our own balls from there and add it all up at the end. Did I expect this to make golf easier for me? Of course, just as I knew it would make golf harder for him. But precisely how would it be different? That is what we wanted to find out. So we scheduled a date in September, locked down a primo golf course, and enlisted a video crew to make sure every swing was documented for history. A dream assignment was coming to life. I was pumped. And of course, terrified. I have a 210 adjusted up to 215. And, uh, uh, is this a bad time to change my prediction? That voice you're hearing is Joel Damon, PGA Tour veteran, cover star of this month's Golf Digest. Joel is maybe not a household name, but if you know golf, you know why he was perfect for this experiment. He's an exceptional golfer, for one, a winner on tour who was in contention on the weekend at this year's U.S. Open. Coming up the hill out of the heavy stuff, it's going to get better. Using that back slope, watch this. This might go in. This might go in. Good shot, Damon. But Joel is also about as down-to-earth as a pro athlete can be. He's a cancer survivor, unfailingly candid and personable, and the type of guy we knew would embrace 18 holes with a neurotic golf editor, even if it meant being handcuffed right from the start. I have four iron, so it's up 215. It's a little into the wind. Uh, I believe you have like 60 yards, so maybe 50. Um, this is a lot different. I'm... <laughs> I <laughs> I told you. I might I might struggle breaking 80 all of a sudden. But we're going to give it a go. We were on the first hole at Scottsdale National Golf Club. It was early September, a beautiful morning, and I wasted no time in making the challenge before Joel very clear. Playing from all the way back, my opening drive was a typical bleeder. Certainly not my best drive, but sadly not close to my worst. It was about 210 yards down the right side, leaving Joel with a four iron in. And this is why Joel said he was changing his prediction. We had identified breaking 80 for me and a score under par for him as a loose target. And already he sensed that might be tougher than he hoped. Uh, get down. Bite. All right. It's a good start. All right. Good ball. Solid. See? <laughs> Short irons are boring. It'll... <laughs> this will be good this practice. Is, yeah, this is good. <laughs> Joel has his name on his back for a reason. He sent his approach to 15 feet, barely lipped out his birdie putt, and two-putted for par. Then, I did this. I believe in yeah, you. Yeah. Whew. Okay. Oh, that's solid. Go in. Oh, what a golf shot. Absolutely. I even trolled the club. Did you see it? I didn't see the troll, yeah, no. but that was impressive. Thank you. Great start. All right, here we go. Joel had left me 70 yards to the hole, and I responded by stuffing a sandwich to two feet and tapping in for birdie. For a brief moment, I looked competent, maybe even better than that. And when Joel and I spoke later, he admitted he thought he was in trouble. I was thinking if on this first hole, which is relatively basic, um, short-ish, if I'm hitting four into this hole, which is, you know, kind of a tough green, actually, that I was going to have a very long day for sure. You know, and then I look where you're at and you have 70 yards left. I'm like, oh, geez, this is, I mean, <laughs> one, I thought you were going to beat me on the day. You know, I was, <laughs> was going to be the one breaking 80 for sure. On the very next hole, however, I returned to being me. Oh, I went, oh, shit. Airmailed it. You guys look disappointed in me. I was between clubs for my third shot on the par of five second, and I went with the longer one, but the ball flew over the green and into a back bunker. Plug, downhill lie. It was basically a greatest hits of shots that gave me trouble. That was too good of a shot to go there. Yeah, Joel gave me a bad number. 
I, so, hey, I, I tried caddying recently. I'm not very good. The lie in the bunker was a big problem, but it was just the start. I chunked the first sand shot, then the next one, and then hockey pucked my way to a nine, all of which was within the realm of possibility for me as an 11 handicap, all of it stemming from a really poor decision. So there's one oh of the huge, God. it's one of the huge differences. We basically had the same wedge shot. I beat you by five from the same spot, <laughs> about a hundred and hundred yards out ish. Uh, all right. But I will say you hit a great shot. You just, you say you hit the wrong club. Uh, what Joel was hinting at was something that became a theme throughout the day and really was a reflection of something amateurs like me do all the time. We make mistakes and then we make them worse. I think I knew that already and I had thought about my round with Joel enough to form my own theories about the day. But I also wanted another opinion, so I asked my colleague Luke Curtinine to watch the video of the round and share his insights. Luke is not only one of Golf Digest's instruction editors, he's also my go-to swing nerd on all sorts of different matters, both personal and professional. And I knew he was going to have opinions on the Damon experiment, whether I asked for them or not. I mean, what I saw really was the thing that amateur golfers do wrong. It's a thing I write about all the time. We talk about all the time. And really, it's not your ability to hit good shots. I mean, you stuffed it on the first hole. I mean, you're capable of hitting just as good a shots as anyone. Luke then proceeded to list all the things I did wrong in that sequence, which was painful to hear, especially since he was right. And then you can just see... It's not just the one mistake, it's the compounding of the mistakes, because that's the secret in golf, really, right? You're allowed to make one mistake, and you're allowed to make two, three mistakes. You're just not really allowed to make two, three mistakes in a row. What about throwing it up in the air, sucking it back? You like that? Uh, with your skills that I've seen so far, I'd not Don't say it. it, don't say it, don't say it. What was noteworthy about the day with Joel is how, in many respects, I actually fared pretty well. Like I said, I am not very long, and no one is going to confuse me with Ben Hogan as a ball striker. But on whole, my golf swing really wasn't the issue. Remember, I was teeing off from all the way back, about 7,200 yards, and yet, save for a couple of times I left Joel with laughably long approaches, we avoided the sort of disaster both of us had feared. There were two par threes that measured more than 230 yards, which led to a fairly humiliating concession to reality. Big boy par three, boy. 235 uphill into the wind. Yeah. I was between eight and nine, so I decided to go with the driver. Okay. Oh, I get it. Into the wind. Oh, he ripped it too, right at it. Cut it a little bit. Go here, go here. Oh, it's on the green again. <laughs> oh boy. All right. That's two drivers That's on par threes, both on the green. Nine iron. Nine iron, guys. Yeah, well done. Wow. Golfing. Somehow, I hit both those long par threes in regulation. Then later, on another, the ninth, I felt so good over the ball, I started to get cocky. If I, if I make an ace here, does that count? Heck yeah. Count for you or for me? It should count for you. We can, we can, it sh it'll count for you. Okay. Glad we established that. Yeah. I like you're thinking about a one, though. Right. Dude. Oh, what do you want to drink, Joel? Oh, great golf shot. Oof. Great swing. Thank you. What did you hit, Sam? I hit a seven. Seven. I Joel's expert advice there. It's hard to overstate just how fun this all was. In a weird way, I thought about being a kid when we'd sneak down to the front row of Mets or Rangers games. That's what this was like. We knew we didn't belong there, and we'd be given the boot before long, so we figured we might as well just enjoy the view while we could. And it wasn't just because I was always getting this generous head start on every hole. 
almost as good as knowing my worst tee balls were someone else's problem. Oh, I just remembered that I don't have to hit that shot regardless. You don't. Oh, that's... You get to hit this one. <laughs> Such a great feeling. Yeah. I made three birdies in my first nine holes. That was the good news. The bad news is I also did stuff like this. Go hard. That is so bad. Oh, no. Why did you force me to chip it? Oh, it is so dumb. Yeah, that's a whoopsies. At least you don't have to go far for your next one. Thanks for that. Mm-hmm. On the par four fifth, Joel had cranked his drive to 120 yards out, but I made a mess from there, pulling my approach shot to short of the green, then needing three shots just to get my ball over a big ridge and onto the green. And that wasn't the only mistake I made in that stretch. I needed two shots to get out of a bunker on number seven, then had to take an unplayable on number eight because I flushed a seven iron over the green and into a bush. So yeah, things were not perfect. The old short game is uh, crushing my boy Sammy right now. So bad. Another trend we saw, and there it's actually pretty connected, is what we might call uh, a lack of composure or just um, making decisions based on things that happened earlier in the round. And so obviously I was struggling for whatever reason with my short game and I started to try to work around that. Possibly breathing life into something that wasn't really the big problem that I thought it was. Yeah, I mean, I think the fifth hole was like a classic example of that, right? Hit decent shot and then you ended up hit taking three chips to get back onto the green. But really the interesting thing was the decision you made on the first chip. Yeah, um, which you actually, you pulled a putter, which was a classic, like, oh, I'm low confidence in my wedge today. I'm just he was referring to the long putt from off the green that ended up rolling back to my feet, which is not to be confused with the chip I hit that also rolled back to my feet. It was a telling moment, kind of like a tennis player who tries to run around his backhand. That almost never works out, and neither did this. When you think about it from an amateur golfer's perspective, you've probably not hit that shot a whole lot definitely not practiced it as much as you've practiced just hitting a basic 20 yard chip but the reason you've turned to that shot in that situation is because you've allowed what's happened previously to affect what's in front of you right now and so you're turning to a shot that really is actually more uncomfortable for you than just trying to chip something up there into the vicinity of the hole because again trying to get too cute at the same time you're letting what's gone on in the past affect you now and it's all sort of culminated in in and a result that you're not extremely happy about. You still got a shot. You got a chance. Remarkably, even with all these dumb mistakes, I still had a shot at what was for me a decent score. And to that, you're going to say, well, of course you did. I'd play pretty well too if I had a trained professional doing all the heavy lifting, which is totally fair. I get it. But this is the part that spoke to why we were all there in the first place. We knew Joel hitting all my drives was going to make the game easier for me. But it wasn't going to solve everything. And in some ways, the round crystallized that the biggest difference between an average golfer and a tour player was not just how far we each hit the ball. I think it was just going to show how wide the gap is. Um, you know, even even between a, a club champion, you know, and a scratch golfer, um, how wide that gap is. Um, is is quite wide between a, 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 a touring professional and, you know, an everyday club player. The thing they do so well is doing the simple stuff. 
they gain these little advantages on every hole based on how good their bad shots are. And they're not trying to build around uh, based on sticking a seven iron or sticking three seven irons. They're just trying to avoid the worst case scenario. And Joel actually says that multiple times throughout the video. Right. I mean, it's that old saying that I say all the time, which golf is about how good is your good and how bad is your bad. No question. His good is way better than mine, but also his bad doesn't come close to my bad because for all the reasons you describe, he limits the damage of certain mistakes. Yeah. And it's golf's easy when the good is good, you know, like that's really not when the, the, the frustrating brilliant thing about golf is that the good is so fleeting, right? So really our money's made and especially pros our money's made when they're, when they're just playing average or below average and that's why i think joel was saying things like you know really when you have a wedge in your hand anything with a green in regulation is good so it all come down to this i was eight over par through 17 holes and joel had just mashed a drive some 320 yards down to the bottom of the hill leaving me just an eight iron into the green on my second shot on a par five i make birdie i shoot 79 it was a big moment and curiously not just for me I guess I was surprised at how much interest I had taken in you playing well. Um, and, you know, it kind of started off with, like, I wanted to beat you to make sure I did that part, um, number one. And then, you know, I wanted to see if I could break apart myself. And then um, kind of on that back nine, I just had a lot of fun, you know, having a genuine rooting interest. Um, I mean, it helps that you're a nice guy and you're fun to play golf with. But um, also, like, this whole thing of, you know, breaking 80 and – um, it was pretty compelling coming down the stretch. So, of course, what did I do on 18? It was my worst swing of the day. It was so frustrating, so comical, and yet so predictable. I knew that was going to happen. I knew that was going to happen. I was just way too much thought. Ugh. Still chipping. You're Disappointed feeling, in me? Feeling the heartbreak. I'm not disappointed in you, I'm disappointed for us. What do you say to your kids? You're not mad at them? You're disappointed? Yeah. I'm not disappointed. I'm just sad. <laughs> the ball trickled into a bunker, which had given me fits all day. At that point, we knew I was in trouble. You know what's funny? Well, um, it was like you couldn't script it any better in terms of like having a dramatic conclusion. Unfortunately, it was unsatisfying. Was, certainly. <laughs> in, watching the video, it's like the moment I hit that second shot into the bunker, I mean, I had plenty of opportunities to still make a good score. And we all knew I was screwed. It's like, it, it, like it, it's so bad. Everyone sensed right then that it was over. And it's so pathetic and because well, it ended up being the, right. Yeah. And the the historical data on the previous 17 holes had shown that bunkers were um, not your favorite. You know, they, they weren't your friend. They weren't your favorite. So uh, when it went in there uh, and the bunkers out there, to be fair, I played it again for the first time last week. And... Um, they're not easy out there. Joel was being nice. Maybe the bunkers were tough, but saying that's why I needed three shots to get out of them is not entirely true. As Luke and I discussed, the problem really was in my head. I had just made the determination that day, oh, I'm not chipping well, or I'm not hitting any bunker shots well. Whereas maybe even the day before I was hitting bunker shots fine. And so I've, decide I've decided that that's a thing that day. Whereas maybe... That's a misguided thought because, you know, every shot is an isolated event. Totally. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's funny. It's, it's a bit like um, if you were to flip a coin and then you're like heads and it comes up tails and you're like, ah, I'm not flipping the coin well today. 
Like it's really like it's that's not that's not quite how it works, you know. It, it, like you're saying, every shot is an isolated incident, and you're really just trying to, you know. Sometimes the chips will fall your way, and other times they won't. But it really shouldn't dictate what's happened in the past. Shouldn't really dictate what's about to happen in the future. That's a hundred percent nerves. Well, eighty percent nerves, twenty percent lack of skill. But that is so. Friggin' bad. The reality is, the moment got to me. My goal was completely arbitrary. I mean, it couldn't count as real golf if I had a pro hitting all my tee shots, but for whatever reason, playing on camera, playing in front of a pro, I basically choked. I was in a greenside bunker in two, but finished with a six, and that was after needing to make a 12-footer up the hill for a bogey. Finish on a high note. Yeah, well, it's kind of hard already. Well, yeah, but the highest note you could reach. <laughs> oh, yeah. Nice finish. The highest note you could have reached. Note. Oh, uh, <laughs> that was fun. That was a lot of fun. Thank I wish you. I would have did it slightly better, but no. that was fun. Final oh, score, nine over fun. 81. Joel, in large part because of the distances I left him, finished with a 75. We had both fallen short of our goals. I was disappointed and probably a little embarrassed, but even then, only to an extent. Even with the letdown on 18, it was still a top five day playing golf because of the company, because of the opportunity, and because of everything I learned about what it takes to play golf at the highest level. Starting with the fact that I had no business playing golf at the highest level. You can see it all for yourself in the video. It's an hour of me flailing around and I expect to be fully ridiculed by friends, family, and total strangers for weeks and months to come. I'd do it all again in a heartbeat. Did I, I'm, I'm out of the bunker, right? You're in it. No, I'm not. Yeah. Oh, motherfucker. Yeah, it just kept trickling down the... Oh my God, I'm such a jackass. Local Knowledge is produced by Greg Gottfried. The music from this episode is Long Time Rye by Blue Dot Sessions. If you like Local Knowledge and you haven't already subscribed, well, what are you waiting for? And the same applies to The Loop, our weekly podcast on what's happening on tour, gambling advice, and so much more. All right. Perfect. All right. Yeah, a little funky vibe, <laughs> but still have one fifth Clubs. in there. Clubs and wrists are intact, so...